We are continuing in, in uh, Genesis chapter 27. Genesis chapter 27. And the context here is, again, this is the time when Jacob is, is deceiving his father. Uh, uh, but he was put up to this by his mother, Rebecca. In fact, he was, he was not even willing in the beginning. And his mother, Rebecca, put him up to this. And one of the things that we can learn is that, is that uh, parents have an enormous influence. Parents ha- have an enormous influence. And what they, what they do is, is um, if, they, if they show their children how to deceive, the children will become even better deceivers than they are. If you show, if you demonstrate to your children uh, racism, they'll become bigger racists than you are. If you, if you display to them something that is negative, they will generally exceed you in that negativity. So you want to be very careful what you share with your children. Uh, because she put, she put uh, Jacob up to this. Rebecca did. And we looked at last time how, how uh, uh, Isaac thought he was blessing Esau, but he was blessing Jacob in the process. And it's interesting to see his blessing that he said... And, and that's in verse 28 of, of chapter 27. Now may God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and the abundance of the grain and new wine. May people serve you and the nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you. This is a somewhat generic prayer. You know, it's almost as if, as if Isaac thinking that he was blessing Esau, was not able to throw himself into the depth of the Abrahamic blessing that, that was necessary. So even he knew, he knew that he should not be doing this. And his prayer never came out with power. Because you can compare that to the prayer that ultimately he prays over over Joseph before he, he leaves, uh, I'm sorry, over Jacob before he leaves. That's in chapter 28, verse 4. And he says, may he give you the blessing of Abraham. You see that he equated this now with Abraham. He never linked the blessing in chapter 27 to the blessing that came through Abraham. He was reluctant to do that. And there's the power loss. This is what happens in the loss of power. When you're not walking right with God, it's very hard to preach the Word of God with power. It's very hard to to share the Word of God with power. You can go through the motions, but when you're not walking with God, what happens is there's a lack of power. A lack of power. So a preacher can get up and share share the Bible, but be walking in some area of sin in their life, some area of gross sin, and still be preaching the gospel. But the power's gone. The power is gone. And before they know it, the people in the congregation will start seeing it. They'll see that loss of power. And, uh, uh, they'll, and, and they'll suspect it. You see this loss of power even in his prayer. Because he knows that he's doing wrong. He thinks he's blessing Esau. And he can't give Esau then the blessing of Abraham. He's unable to do it. There's a loss of power when we don't walk uprightly with the Lord. Many people say, how is it that you do evangelism? And one of the things is, you've got to get your heart right. Your heart has got to be right with the Lord. You can't play games with this. You can try to put on some facade, but you'll, you'll have a loss of power there. And you see this loss of power 
that, that happened. So we're going to pick this up now in verse 30, and we'll overlap a little bit with what we read last time. So reading from verse 30. Now it came about as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. Then he also made savory food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. You know, very different than the way that Joseph had come to him. He said to his father, please. Esau never spoke the words please. Very different the way Jacob and Esau speak to their father. Verse 32, And Isaac his father said to him, Who are you? And he said, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was he then that hunted game and brought it to me so that I ate all of it before you came and blessed him? Yes, he shall be blessed. It says he trembled violently. In the Hebrew it says, He trembled with a great trembling. It's a double trembling. He trembled with a great trembling. And this is, this is what happened. All of a sudden, Isaac realized that he had gone against the ways of God and God still inserted. Remember I told you when God says in the Bible, I will or I shall, it has to happen. When God told Rebecca back in, in chapter 25, verse 23, the older shall serve the younger, That's what had to happen. Rebecca never should have inserted herself thinking that the the ends would justify the means. This is something just like what, what Sarah had done by giving Abraham Hagar and the troubles that that brought in. Rebecca here, she, rather than appealing to her husband to try to intercede that he not give the blessing to Esau, she concocted this scheme of deceiving him. And she taught her son how to how to deceive as well. She taught Jacob how to to deceive as well. And what she taught Esau was, she taught Esau how to hate religion, how to hate the godly things. That's what she taught him. So when you teach your children something that is evil, there are great things translated in this. Be careful what you display to your children. And then in verse 34, when Isaac heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. And he said to his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. He didn't care about the prolonged things. He just wanted to know what this little thing was going to get him. He wanted to get the riches that the blessing was going to get. But the blessing had to follow the birthright. And the birthright he had already sold. He sold his birthright in the last chapter. And so now... Since that birthright is sold, it came to Jacob anyway. When he, in verse 35, and he said, Your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. Well, that's half true. He came deceitfully, but he didn't take away the blessing. He got the blessing that he had rightly deserved because the blessing follows the birthright. Verse 36, then he said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He has taken away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? You know, there's an interesting verse in in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 3. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 3 says this, The foolish man ruins his way, and his heart rages against the Lord. 
We ruin our own lives by the decisions that we make and then we rage against the Lord. Lord, why have you done this to me? Why is this happening to me? And God's like, it's not on me. (laughs) It's not on me. Don't blame me. That was based on your own decisions. You brought that into your own life. Based upon your own decisions, you brought that into your own life. That's what he's saying. And, and, and so when he cried out, he said, he, he said these two times he's done this. He took, he, he took my birthright, then he took my blessing. And in each case, that's false. He didn't take the birthright from him. Esau sold the birthright. And the blessing, the blessing was rightly Jacob's and not his to begin with. And he says, hasn't he supplanted me these two times? Here he's using supplanted as if he took something that was not belonged to him. Whereas when you look at the birth, when he's grabbing by the heel, it merely means grabbing by the heel. It's a neutral sense. It's just a matter of fact. It wasn't a negative thing that God was saying. Remember, God always spoke highly of Jacob. Preachers speak poorly of Jacob. God spoke to him, and we, we, we talked about that word last time, that, that word tam that's used to speak only, only uh, uh, it was spoken of Job and it was spoken of Noah. And this same word now is speak, spoken of Jacob. This is a highly regarded guy by, by God. Highly regarded. And, and, uh, um, but, these, but Esau is speaking ill of him. Verse 37, but Isaac replied to Esau, Behold, I have made him your master and his relatives I have given to him as servants. And with grain and new wine, I will have sustained him. Now, as for you then, what can I do, my son? This is what it's talking about in the New Testament. When it says in chapter 11 of Hebrews, when it talks about these Old Testament men in chapter 11 of Hebrews, it says one one sentence about Isaac. There's one sentence in the book of Hebrews. There's paragraphs about Abraham. About Isaac, there's one sentence. And by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau even regarding things to come. By faith, he did this. That's it. Because now he realizes that his blessing is going to happen. God interceded. God's way is going to happen. You take on God and you think that you're going to go somehow against God's will and prosper you will be greatly surprised because God will win in the end. You are the one who will suffer. I am the one who will suffer if I go against God's plan and God's will for my life. God's will will happen. And so, so uh, um, in, in, verse, in verse 38, Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. So he lifted up his voice and he wept. This is the weeping that comes upon a man by walking in disobedience. This man married two daughters of the Canaanites. This man sold his birthright. It says with disdain, he didn't even care about his birthright. If we don't care about the things of God, we are the ones who lose out in life. And that's demonstrated to us in this chapter. Verse 39, Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, So now is the blessing that's going to come upon Esau. Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of the heaven. If you look in the King James Version, or in the Geneva Bible Version, it will say, Behold, from fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling. Whereas the NIV and the New American Standards say, Behold, away. So scholars differ on this. Scholars today, 
Hebrew scholars today will say that that word away is there due to a certain, a certain way that this is written. That he's saying you're not going to have of the fat of the land. Whereas if you look in those other translations, they say you will have the, of the fat of the land. And you say, well, then it's not much different than the prayer that was prayed formerly in, in verse 28 over, over uh, uh, Jacob. But that word away is there. But then you see this in verse 40. But, your, but by your sword you shall live, and your brother you shall serve, but it shall, be, it shall come about when you become restless that you will break his yoke from your neck. So look how specific the word is. He says, by your sword you're going to live. And this is actually what happened. By your sword you will live. In each one of these sentences, you can see the fulfillment in the Bible. Exactly what was prayed over him is what he got. The same sort of thing is going to happen when Jacob prays over his 12 children. He's going to say very specific things, and then you can track each one of those specific things happening. So he says in verse 40, By your sword you shall live. And so in Numbers chapter chapter 20, verse 14, the Israelites are coming out of Egypt and Moses wants to pass through the land of Edom. Edom, remember that word Edom was, was given to, to uh, Esau because he was red and because he ate that red, that, that first of all, his hair was red. And then, then uh, when he ate that red porridge, it's a, it, it talked about how this is one of the reasons why he is called Edom. So that's in chapter 25, verse 30. It says, And Esau said to Jacob, Please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there, for I am famished. Therefore his name was called Edom. So there was a land of Edom, which was just south of where Israel is today. And Moses wanted to pass through that land. But he would not attack his brothers in the sense that this is a brother of the children of, 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 of uh, Jacob. And so he didn't want to attack them in any way. He says, we'll go around. We won't take any of your water. We won't take anything from your land. We're just passing through. And it says, and it, it says in verse 20 of, of Numbers chapter 20, verse 20, it says, but he said, you sh- this, this is the king of Edom, you shall not pass through. And Edom came out against him with a heavy force and with a strong hand. Thus Edom refused to allow Israel to pass through his territory, so Israel turned away from him. When Moses came out of the land, he dipped down and he went under Edom, came back up from the Transjordan, the opposite side of the Jordan, and came into attack. And the reason for that is he had to go around Edom. Edom would not let him. So Edom is living by the sword in this sense, the very prophecy. And it says, your brothers you shall serve. Well, where is that shown? Well, that's shown in 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 14. Several hundred years later, it says, he put garrisons, David put, King David put garrisons in Edom. In all Edom, he put garrisons. And all the Edomites became servants to David. So under David, under King David, the Edomites served the children of Israel, exactly as what was prophesied here. Then it says in verse 40 of, of Genesis chapter 27, but it shall come about when you become restless that you will break his yoke from your neck. And so when did that happen? That's noted in Second Chronicles chapter 21, verse 8 through 10. Second Chronicles 21, 8 through 10, it says, in the days 
In his days, Edom revolted against the rule of Judah and set up a king over themselves. Then Jehoram crossed over with his commanders and all his chariots with him. And he arose by night and he struck down the Edomites who were surrounding him and the commanders of the chariots. So Edom revolted against Judah to this day. Then Libna revolted at the same time against his rule because he had forsaken the Lord, the God of his father. So you see that after a while, after being in subjection under the children of Israel, then they rebelled and they were separated from them. So exactly what was prophesied here, you see what I'm trying to get through to to you today, is the truth of the word of God. When God's word says it, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And so, you you know, I've, I've shared the scriptures with people that were making drastic decisions in their lives, and I was urging them, don't do that. And, and, and I remember one guy that I really love, he, say, he says, your Bible has no effect on me. That doesn't mean that's going to happen in my life, he said. Exactly what was written happened in his life. And I saw and I watched with my own eyes his life be destroyed. Now, to this day, he doesn't acknowledge that, you know, it was written in the Bible and that's exactly what happened to his life. But for me, it's a clear data point. It's right there. I watched it in his life. You watch the Word of God, it's going to be fulfilled. You go against it, it's going to bring pain in your life, pain in your marriage, pain into your children's lives when you go against this Word. What he does is he maps out for us the prophecies in this prayer of Isaac over Esau. And then he lists it for us in hundreds of years later. Exactly what happened with the land of Edom. Verse 41. So Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So you see, because of the mother's deception, she has now caused one of her sons, Esau, to hate religious life and to want to kill the other son. You see how the effect that that a parent can have on a, chi- on a child. And I've seen this. I've seen parents who are racist and their children are ten times more racist than the parents are. I've seen parents who display love and kindness and their children display love and kindness over and over again in other people's lives. Would, chil- would parents display to children? They will often do magnified. And it's caused now one brother to say, I'm going to wait till my father dies because the father was 137 at this time. uh, uh, And I'm going to wait till he dies and then I'll kill him. But he didn't know his father was going to live yet another 43 years. Um, And in that time, his anger subsided. Verse 42. Now, when the words of her elder son Esau were reported to Rebekah, she sent and she called her younger son Jacob and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau is... consoling himself concerning you by planning to kill you. So in verse 41, it says that Esau said it to himself. So if he said it to himself, how does the mother know? Well, first of all, I just know what Shireen knows in my children's lives. They don't have to say it. She can just look at them and she knows what they're intending to do. She just looks at them and she she knows it. But not only that, he said it first to himself. Maybe he then started expressing it because it says when the words of her elder son Esau were reported to Rebekah. So somehow she might have, he might have eventually started saying it. So those words came back to Rebekah saying, your older son is planning to kill your younger son. 
And she well knew by this time the story of Cain and Abel, which was from Genesis with, with the children of Adam and Eve, how, how Cain uh, uh, slew Abel, the older slew the second one. And she's probably thinking, this is going to happen with my children too. So in verse 43, Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise and flee to Haran to my brother Laban. So she tells her son to flee. She says to Jacob, flee, go stay with my brother Laban. Laban is over in Haran, so you have to go up from Israel. So if this is Israel, you go up from Israel across the trade route because you can't go straight across the desert. That's, that's, that desert is foreboding. Even today you can't go across that desert unless you carry a lot of water. So you go up to the trade routes and around and back over to where Iraq is. And that's where her brother Laban was. That's 450 miles. So, you, you know, you go 450 miles away in those days, you, you, were, you were fine. You go 450 miles away from somebody today and you're usually okay. Stay with him a few days until your brother's fury subsides. Stay with him a few days. Her intent was for him to be there just a matter of days until your brother's fury subsides. Verse, verse 45. Until your brother's anger against you subsides and he forgets what you did to him. He forgets what you did to him. In fact, Rebecca was the one who put him up to it and said, any curse upon you, come upon me. Now she says, what you did to him. You know, she was just following out. He was just following what she told him to do. And now she's like, look what you did. Some mother there. Then I will send and get you from, from there. Why should I be bereaved of both of you in one day? Why should I be bereaved of both of you in one day? Now, either she was thinking that if Esau kills Jacob, then the words in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, the, the command that God had given to, to Noah from this point on, if any man kills another man, that man should be killed. Life for life. That's in Genesis 9, 6. So knowing that if Esau kills Jacob, Esau is going to have to be killed. I'm going to be bereaved of my two sons all in one day, because they didn't have this thing where somebody goes on death row for 20 years before they're executed. I mean, that same day, the killer is killed. Or it could be that she knows Jacob is a tough guy. So if you think that Jacob is is a mama's boy because he liked to cook, that's not true at all. We're going to see the strength of Jacob in the next chapter. He's able to move a stone that generally takes several people to move. For one man to move a stone that it generally takes several men to move, that's a very strong man. And, and, and then also the way he's able to work so productively the land and build up these flocks. So Jacob was not going to stand there and just say, yeah, Esau, come and kill me. He was going to give it back to him. So she, so he may, she may well be bereaved of both of them in this fight. Either way, she says, why should I be bereaved of both of you in one day? Rebekah said to Isaac, I am tired of living because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife from the daughters of Heth, like these from the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? So she sends her son away for what she thinks is going to be a few days. It turns out he's gone for 20 years. She will never see him again. This son that she loves so much, she 
will never see him again. What happened to her as a result of her deception upon her husband is she will never see her beloved son again. There are consequences for rebellion against God. There are consequences for rebelling against leadership. There are ways to appeal to leadership. And I've seen it so many times in the workplace. I started working at the age of 13. And, and uh, I started you know, working for a paycheck so from the time I was 13. Every place I've ever seen where somebody has come against the leadership in a wrong and in an aggressive way toward the leadership, they have always been in trouble as a result. God builds up leadership. The Bible says that, 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 that man is the head of woman, Christ is the head of man, and God is the head of Christ. And you see the way Jesus, although he was, he's one in every sense, God in the flesh, he yields to his Father. Just like women are totally equal with men in the sight of God, there's a positional difference in a marriage. And the positional difference says, says it, it talks about a mutual submission one to another in the book of Ephesians, but it also talks about wives submitting to husbands multiple times as well as submitting one to another. And that's the understanding of this. You rebel against this. And I see it in the university when there's faculty that rebel against administration. The administration will always win. They'll always win in the end. I've seen the admission, administration come in and change, come in with, 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 the, uh, um, with the locksmiths and change the locks on a faculty member's office. You want to mess with the administration? You don't even have access to your office anymore. I've seen this happen. And, and, and uh, um, you know, you, the person who rebels against authority will always pay a price for that. There are ways to appeal author- to authority. Authority doesn't always do things right, but you appeal to them. This is what the scriptures teach us. There's a way to appeal to them. And... and uh, um, uh, so, so you see this, this same sort of thing happening here. She's going to lose her son, her beloved son she's never going to see again. And there's a good chance she saw very little of Esau anymore either. Because Esau hated what she did. This plan that she, she concocted with, with, with Jacob. So she may have been bereaved of both of her sons in one day. Never to see them again. We have no reference of her ever seeing Esau again. She may have been bereaved of both of them. Maybe she wished she had been bereaved of just Esau because Esau's two wives were driving her crazy. And, 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 and we see that in a, in, a former, in a former chapter where it talks about the, the two wives that were really giving her a hard time. It speaks about that formerly. It says in verse 35 of chapter 26, uh, they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. The two wives of Esau brought grief. That's why when you are getting into marriage, you want to think about also the family that you're marrying into. You need family support. Marriage is hard. It's hard all around to make this thing work. And the, it's great to have support from both sides, from family from both sides. So you want your families to share in this. You don't want to just say, well, I'm marrying this person. I don't care what you think. No, there's a way of bringing the family into this. Even if they're not terribly excited about this person, you can pray them into this if this is God's will. God will soften their hearts. It means waiting sometimes. But this is what you do because you need family support here. Who were the, who were the people of Heth? Well, Heth was the son of Canaan. 
Canaan was the grandson of Noah, the one who had been cursed. That grandson stayed in the area that Israel is today. Remember, the Canaanites were, were eventually wiped out. So they were, they, they were heavily wiped out by, by uh, uh, Joshua coming into the land. And then their final demise was in Carthage by the Romans, totally wiped them out. Total rebellion against the Romans over and over again. And the Romans totally wiped you out. And that's what happened to the Canaanites. Exactly what Noah had said would happen to Canaan. Well, Canaan had a son named Heth. Heth had daughters, and, and two, da- two of his daughters, of the daughters of Heth, meaning the descendants of Heth, meaning the descendants of Canaan, Esau married those two. And she, those wives were driving Rebekah and Isaac crazy. And she said, if, if Jacob marries one of the daughters of the land, because he lives here, and so, so you know, you're living in this land, you're going to end up marrying some woman of this land, just go to my brother and get a wife. And that's what we're going to see in chapter 28. But what I want to do is I want to look at what some things that the New Testament has to say, that the New Testament has to say about, about uh, um, uh, this whole thing of, of, um, of Rebecca and the things that took place here. So turn to um, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. The New Testament is our guide to the Old Testament. It is the greatest commentary. It is God's commentary on the Old Testament. He says in verse 14, Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. You want people to see the Lord? You want people to be influenced for the Lord in your life? It says that you have to be sanctified. Sanctified means set apart. You set yourself apart. You cannot do what the world does. You cannot live like the world and have the world see God in you. You have to live differently. And you pursue peace. That doesn't mean just, well, you're nice to me. If you be nice to me, I'll be nice to you. No, you pursue peace. We are obliged to take the position of humility and pursue peace. If somebody is upset with us, the obligation is on us to initiate the peace. The obligation is upon us because we are the believers in Christ. Pursue peace. Verse 15 of Hebrews chapter 12. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. Meaning, remember what grace is? Grace is the undeserved gift of God. It's undeserved. See that no one comes short of the grace of God. Meaning that we can reject God's gift of grace. The Bible says God's gift of grace comes to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is offered to us and we receive that gift through faith. An unusual gift. Most gifts you receive by, you put out your hands and you take it. This gift of Jesus Christ comes through faith. He says, see to it that nobody, nobody uh, comes short of the grace of God. In other words, the grace of God is there for whatever situation. The grace of God is there. But we can reject His grace. You know, I'll do this by myself. I know what I'm doing. Just leave me alone. I know what I'm doing. I'm fine. No, that's not the way it is. 
The Bible says you do it God's way. As believers, we are obliged to do it His way. That no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. When we hold bitterness towards somebody, this is all in the context of Esau. Esau held bitterness toward his brother. He held bitterness toward his mother. And this caused many to be defiled. Bitterness. When we hold on to bitterness, I was just encouraging somebody this morning. I, I, I reminded them what the scriptures say in Matthew. If you do not forgive others their transgressions against you, your transgressions will not be forgiven. Your heavenly Father will not forgive you. If that's not a sobering thought, I don't know what is. I mean, you, you are asleep or you're dead spiritually if that doesn't shake you. If you do not forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. And then I was, I was reminding that person just this morning, also from this verse, I said, don't let a root of bitterness spring up in your life. Don't let that bitterness come in because it's, it's a root meaning it's going to start growing in your life and start defiling all sorts of things. When you hold on to an offense, it's going to destroy your life. You've got to let these things go. For your own sake, let it go. Verse 16, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau. What was Esau's fundamental problem, the Bible says? He was immoral and godless. That word immoral, if you look in other translations, it will say fornicator. No fornicator like Esau. What is fornication? Fornication, some people think it's just sex outside of marriage. It's not just that. It is any sort of sexual deviance. Any sort of sexual deviance. It can be bestiality. It can be adultery, having sex outside the bonds of marriage. Fornication covers sexual deviance, the whole spectrum of it. He was a fornicator. It says he was an immoral. He was sexually immoral. He was, a, he was a fornicator. That's his fundamental problem. If you're having sex outside the bonds of marriage, I'm telling you, it's going to destroy you. It will, it will cause you to move further and further away from God. If you are not, if, if you are a believer, it will cause you further and further to move away from God. If you're having sex outside of marriage, it will cause you further and further to move away from God. You cry out to God to protect you from this. And even if you say, well, we're planning to get married, it doesn't matter. You lower, you, lower, you lower sexual standards before marriage, you'll be prone to lower them in marriage. And, and uh, uh, if that person doesn't, doesn't agree with you on this, that's not the person you want to be with. And then it says he was immoral and he was godless. The man was godless. He didn't care about God at all. That's how the commentary in the New Testament, which has got to be true, is, is saying of Esau, he was immoral and he was godless, who sold his birthright for a single meal. He didn't care about the things of God. God puts before us these things. Now, if you're outside the church, if you're outside the church, I don't judge you. I don't judge your sex life. I don't judge anything about you. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you have no business judging people outside the church. It's when you're in the church then we come under this. And then he says, he says he sold his birthright for a single meal. He didn't care about the things of God. He says, for you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance. It wasn't that repentance could not have been granted. He found no place for it. He didn't, 
He didn't know how to repent. He didn't know where to go to for repentance. He found no place for it, though he sought it with tears. What happens when there is rebellion like this, rebellion against God, it is not easy to come back. When you have out-and-out rebellion against God, it is hard for that person to come back. Not that they can't. In Jesus Christ, anybody can come back. But that person often finds it impossible to get to God when there's been this outright disobedience and carelessness toward God, toward the things of God. That's why I encourage you this day, if you do not know the Lord, I encourage you this day to come to Him. Please come to know the Lord. Come to know the Lord this day. We're going to have a a meal at my home for lunch. I invite you to lunch in my home after this. And I will tell you my story about how I came from not knowing God at all, knowing nothing about Jesus Christ, not even the claim that He died for me on the cross, to coming into the life of God. I just want to tell you my story. Please let me do that. If you do not know the Lord, please let me tell you my story so that you could know the Lord today. And I'd be glad to tell you my story. The call of the gospel is always come. Come. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If the things that I've said to you today seem so extreme, how are you going to walk without roots of bitterness? You can't do that without Jesus Christ, without his hand upon you. I urge you to come to him today. I urge you to do this, to have a relationship with him today. Don't let these these roots of bitterness crop up in your life. You want to walk in sanctification, being set apart for the holiness of God? You can't do it without Jesus Christ. If you're outside the body of Christ, you just can't do it. I urge you to follow Him today. His ways are pure and right and just. Each week, almost every week, I see somebody come to faith in Jesus Christ. Over and over again, I see somebody come to faith in Jesus Christ. Just this past week, there was, a, there was another physics professor. I had lunch with him. Guy's in his 50s. And boom, I mean, 20-minute conversation. He goes from not believing in the resurrection to believing in the resurrection, and he enters the kingdom of God. Let that happen to you. There's nothing that should hold you back from this. Please, let me tell you about this. Come to Jesus today. Learn what it is so that you can come under this grace. When it says, it says, let no one fall short of the grace of God. There's a gift here. There's a gift of grace. It's in Jesus Christ being offered to you this day. Please, I beg you, let me tell you about this grace so that you can receive it today. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word, for the truth of Jesus Christ in the word of God. Father, I pray for the believers who are here that they would not fall short of the grace of God. But Father, they would walk in sanctification. Father, for those who are struggling in fornication. Father, for the believers here, I pray that you would draw them into a place where they would dedicate their hearts and their lives to you. So they do not be characterized like Esau. And Father, I pray that you teach us your ways to walk in uprightness and to honor authority in our lives. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would so move and work that the unbelievers here would be drawn to Jesus. Father, that they would come today and receive Jesus as Lord today. That they would hear the word of God and be drawn. Father, I commit them to you. Draw them to Jesus. Please, Lord, 
have mercy on their souls and draw them into a relationship with Jesus. The grace of God be on their lives, I pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen.